happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 296 on May 31st, 2023. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Executive Director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in Missoula, Montana. And joining me tonight in apparently snowy North Carolina, it's Dr. Wes Fryer. Good evening, Dr. Fryer. Good evening, Dr. Neifer. I just love living in this aspirational cabin, so I need to find the same cabin without the snow, I guess, because, yeah, yeah. it was like, it's 70, you know, whatever, it was 75 today, just beautiful. We've had the most mild, I mean, this is our first time to be in the Carolinas for the spring, but from what folks have said, it's just, it's been wonderfully mild, we've had rains, and, um, you know, the, the harshness of the humid summer heat has yeah. not set in yet so anyway it's uh it's a lovely day in the carolinas and today was my last day of official duties um we have to be available for the week for other meetings but we had a department retreat today and my grades are in and uh anyway now i've got to design two courses and completely transition to canvas this summer so there's a bit of work to do but there isn't there are no more students to teach and I don't think there's any more meetings to go to. So, yay, 10-month teaching contract. I am incredibly, incredibly jealous. <laughs> so do you report back then in mid-August then? Is that when you'd report back then? We do. We do. Now, my wife, uh, last day with kids is June 9th, and she goes through the 12th. Um, and, oh, well, there's only three people that listen to this, so I'll... I'll say it out loud. She hasn't announced it on Facebook to the world, but she has. She she had resigned um, maybe even two months ago, uh, not knowing where she was going to go. But she has accepted a position um, to actually be a fifth grade teacher assistant uh, at my school uh, at Providence Day. And one of the benefits of that is she just gets to show up and love on kids, and and really will not. She will not be having to get up at four a.m. every day uh, of the of the of the week or we every weekday. Uh, to get things ready as she has for the past year. So anyway, state testing is going on. But yep. I don't think we're here to necessarily go into all those details. Although I've, I've, I've said a lot of personal. So Dr. Neifer, tell us, um, how is the kitchen going? Did you guys do a <laughs> revamp? What is the status of the Neifer kitchen before well we it is 97 percent done so we've got two things to do left we we ordered a a, a center overhead light we have a little uh, kind of there there you would or you would have called them 10 years ago 10 15 years ago can lights right but they're not can lights anymore because of of uh the availability of newer technologies but we have basically uh, eight can lights up in the kitchen and um but we, the overhead uh, uh, center light is kind of dangling from um, a wire up top. And we, so we have a, um, a light fixture that we'll, we'll have installed the next couple of weeks. And then we've picked out which uh, we have a kind of a little breakfast bar uh, uh, in the kitchen. And um, we've purchased stool or actually we found stools we like. We just need to purchase them and have them delivered. So um, we've been cooking a lot in there the last, well, really uh, three months. Um, and even though the process was pretty arduous, and I think I mentioned on the podcast that we had a, uh, a, a water issue with our dishwasher that created all sorts of mess and was pretty frustrating to deal with. But um, in the end, the kitchen's really easy to cook in. And we did hire a professional designer to write up a plan for us and didn't try to design it ourselves. And the benefit of that has been that her experience made sure that the work triangle, so-called work triangle of the kitchen is muy bueno. So it is really great to cook in. And my wife and I were talking about a couple weeks ago that neither of us can believe that either of us are saying this, um, but it's it's also a lot easier to clean up the kitchen because of how well it's set up. So um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. Um, and, um, you know, we've cooked pizza twice now, which is kind of my, and my I saw, way. yes, yep. I saw some uh, social media pictures of that. So that was yep. pretty So good. that's one of my ways of, of kind of breaking in, uh, the kitchen and it's, it's, it's pretty great. So, so yes, awesome. thank you for asking. Pretty awesome. All right. Well, what are we going to do besides recount, uh, a little personal, personal updates, uh, as we usually start the show, no weather tonight, but what, what, what are we here for? 
Well, we are um, to, to, going to take a look at some news from the last couple of weeks and kind of shoot it through the educational prism. Um, our topics tonight, obviously, we'll deal with AI, and that might suck up some oxygen in the room. We also have a couple of interesting Google articles, um, uh, some social media news, some Apple news with WWDC uh, next week. So I imagine that, that next week we'll be talking about um, new Apple stuff Um uh, uh, I have an article under bad idea department, um, and then we'll end our topics that are topic this week with the geeks of the week. So Dr. Fryer, I know you added in a couple articles tonight. Where would you like to take us first? Oh goodness. Um, I don't know. This is kind of a personal one. It, it's, but you know, sign of the times, this is in gadget from today. Uh, the first gen Chromecast is no longer supported. And that's actually kind of amazing because the first gen Chromecast came out quite a while ago, I think over 10 years. And we talked about this in the context of Internet of Things, <clears throat> that we really should have a mindset of not keeping. It's not like buying a shovel or a rake that you're going to or worse. Yeah, whatever. Some kind of garden implement that you're going to hold on to forever and you're not going to need to upgrade. I mean, buying technology, <clears throat> we know this for laptops and desktops and things like that and phones, but for other things too. Um, and so actually this, this impacts us because I have had several first gen Chromecasts and um, I guess they, they had announced this in April and basically it doesn't mean it stops working. It's not bricked, but there's not going to be any more updates. So, you know, I don't know yeah, the the danger and risk of something like this. Um, I mean, there there is the hacking and personal information issue, but it's probably more like if something would be compromised and and you know become part of a botnet or something like that. It, it's probably going to be fine. I don't think we're going to disconnect our Chromecast right away. Um, but Dr. Neifer, have you? I think do you have some Chromecast as well as Apple TVs. Maybe do you? What, what's, I, I do. What, what's your status of Chromecast? And have you upgraded to faster ones that are you know higher performance? Yeah, um, most of the Chromecasts that are left in my house are Chromecast audios, which haven't been supported for some time. But what I would say is that they are working pretty well still, and I have a couple plugged into ones in, into a, a you know a full stereo setup with the big speakers and the you know uh, old fashioned um, a router, not router, um, amp and and receiver, and that works pretty slick. Um, what I would say is that. The we we did buy we decided to invest in a um, uh, the uh, Apple speaker um, and we bought the big beefy one um, the generation two big beefy one because we figured nice kitchen nice speaker and that's been a pretty solid investment because it is really really impressive uh, sound audio and since you know and this is the most famous last words maybe I've ever uttered about tech since um, I um, 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 since I don't anticipate leaving the Apple uh, ecosystem, right? Like that doesn't mean I won't use other computers or buy other computers, but that's where I think my main um, uh, world will be. I don't anticipate moving away from that. So, um, uh, so Apple TVs are set up in on both of the TVs in our home. And then um, otherwise I have access to, um, a Amazon, a fire TV. Um, and then I also put a link in to our show notes. There's a really great alternative. If you don't want to stick with the no longer supported, um, Chromecast, that is the Walmart on Android TV box. And this is a $20 box. This is the 2023 version of that. And the benefit over the Chromecast is it works just like a Chromecast and you can cast to it from Google and iOS devices, but then you also get the benefit of having the Google TV software on there. So it, it works for 20 well. bucks for 20 bucks. And, and you have, you have this, you're running. I do have exactly this as a matter of fact. And, um, so much so hello, hello, hello. My wife's disembodied hand computers. And I can actually, um, uh, my dog is getting confused because he thinks I'm going to get up and play with him now. This is the, uh, and I happen to have, I bought two of them because I did put one at my parents' house. They, the spare bedroom I've been in lately has a TV in it, but didn't have one of these boxes. So I picked one up um, in Great Falls and stuck it on there. But oh. this is going to be the one I'm going to throw in my office specifically because of the Chromecast capability. But it also has, um, you know, the, the full Android TV experience and a remote control. So um, 
I would say that if you are you know, looking to upgrade or you have security concerns or if you'd like something that is um, uh, you know, a couple steps ahead of just plain Chromecasting, then I would say the on Google or Android TV from Walmart is a pretty good $20 investment. And despite the cost, it's pretty snappy and also works on a 4K television. Man, that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, we use ours basically just as a digital picture frame. Um, yes. We've got two inputs: one's the Apple TV and one's Chromecast. But generally, most of the time, I've got the the Chromecast on there. Um, you know, having the Google Photos rotating through. Can you do that on that um, uh, Walmart twenty dollar one as well? I mean, just use the photos. That- that I'm not sure about. It may have that somewhere in the settings uh, because I think that is standard on most standard Android TV boxes, but I don't know the answer to that. That said, I will be in Great Falls this weekend and and be utilizing that television, so I'll play around with the settings and see what's up. Hmm. It's interesting because I don't know if you've traveled with what, wanting to wanting to travel with, with like, hey, let me make my hotel TV you know, stream. Maybe you've talked about that, but yeah, it can be a little tricky because – <clears throat> you know, you have to connect to the hotel Wi-Fi and getting all that. You know, yeah, the, the way I do that is, um, and this is one of the great benefits of, um, well, at, at the risk of, of just starting a nerdy old discussion. Um, That's okay. I, we can do whatever we want to with this show, I think. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I'm a T-Mobile customer, as is Dr. Fryer. Um, it's been one of the best moves I've ever made, uh, service-wise, uh, tech or not. Um, but I get... Uh, with I I do buy a premium uh, service there, and I get 40 gigs of uh, hotspot uh, data there a month. But the other thing that I also do is I think I've talked about Visible before, um, which is a, um, a a service of Verizon, and Visible um, allows unlimited data for $25 a month, includes unlimited hotspot, but the hotspot's limited to. F- to five gigabits, or I'm sorry, five megabits down, five gigabits down, five megabits down. But what I've noticed is that uh, just because of that Wi-Fi issue, um, it's pretty easy for me to um, you know, just set up my phone in hotspot mode in a hotel, and you know, and, and it's going to use a lot of battery. But I'm in the hotel, right? This is the size of that Android TV box. It's pretty svelte. Um, I also usually carry a um, a small, like one. Uh, one foot or six inch uh, HDMI cable with me so that, um, uh, you know, I'm, it's not taking up a ton of, of, of uh, space in my bag. The only thing I don't like about this on device um, is that the, um, the, it uses USB um, uh, uh, micro USB and not USB type C. And I would imagine that was a cost decision. It probably dramatically decreased the cost of the power for this thing. And, um, um, uh, so I, it means I have to, you know, bring this with me because I don't carry any, any, uh, micro USB cables with me anymore. So I have to carry the power thing with me, but this is all you have to carry with you along with your HDMI cable in your travel bag. And I just have a little bag that I stick in my, um, uh, uh, or a little zip up bag that I stick into my suitcase, uh, when I'm traveling and, you know, that's, that's how I, you know, access television, uh, uh when I'm on the road, I haven't decided, uh, my wife and I are going to Europe at the end of June. We'll be spending, um, almost a week in Sweden and then almost a week and a half in Berlin. I haven't decided we're going to, we're going to, we're going to carry on our bags, um, which is a, a kind of a whole different thing than, um, um, a whole different thing than, um, um, than than uh, uh, checking a bag because it means that we have to be much more svelte and I have to carry all my medications and medical stuff with me and I'll also be carrying a laptop because I'll need to keep an eye on email while I'm in Europe. So I don't know if this will make the bag or not, but that's my strategy right now for traveling and getting access to stream television. That makes me think of uh, like going to, you know, ISTE or whatever and sort of the road warrior <laughs> You know, supplies and like here's all the adapters and and things that we're doing. So maybe maybe you could do that before you you go. Like here here's what made the final cut for for Iceland. Totally. Uh, do you want to do that ex Googler one? Is that a 2023 or 2022? Uh, it's a 2022 article. Um, but it was the source uh, that I thought was really interesting. There, Search Engine Journal reported on. Um, this would be November 30th that ex-Googler uh, Marissa Mayer, who you may remember was the CEO of Yahoo, 
uh, that was going to try to bring Yahoo back to life and wasn't able to do so, um, at least in the way that, that a lot of people hoped. Um, the um, um, it talks about why it seems like Google search engine results are getting worse. And um, she, the, the, the article, you know, gives her the appropriate credibility. She, you know, was employee number 20 at Google, um, has a, 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 a big engineering background, worked on, on Google images, news maps, Gmail. Um, uh, she was in charge at one point at maps, uh, local, um, uh, location services. So she knows what she's talking about. And plus she, you know, ran Yahoo too, which itself is a, a content, uh, a discovery, uh, engine. Um, but she talks about, um, one of the ways that she thinks it's, it's getting worse. And it's because she says the web itself is getting worse and there's more junk content than ever before. And there's an awful lot of disinformation. Um, so it's hard sometimes to 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 divide up the difference between um legitimate sources and illegitimate sources and um also get past the clickbait and get past the 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 click farm articles and instead get to the correct information and the reason why this article was so interesting to me is that here we are in a world where people, uh, not all people, but some people are starting to rely on AI as a search engine, which I think is a mistake, right? Like that's not, AI is not a search engine, nor should, should it consider to be considered a search engine. And yet uh, here we are um, uh, uh, in a world where our, our arguably, um, almost not arguably, the best search engine is having a hard time connecting you with the right answers. And so the pollution of the internet continues. But thankfully, Jason, Sydney is here. And so she's going to save the day for all of us. Um, actually, yeah, I think AI and have you played much with Bard yet? I have, um, but you know what's really funny about Bard? I like Bard, but I don't really understand. It. Maybe it's not turned on, but all the new features they talked about um, at Google I/O, I don't. They don't seem to be part of my Bard experience. Yeah, I haven't. I have not played a tremendous amount with it, um, so. It's, uh, but yeah, I think un undoubtedly search is going to be affected in some significant ways by AI, but the AI is definitely going to be increasing our disinformation. So that was a 2022 article and it's even, it's even worse now. Yep. Um, I'd like to drop down. I put one under tech correction and this is a, an issue that I actually learned about at our retreat today. We are <clears throat> about to kind of go from zero to 60 with esports with a uh, wonderful new hire um, that's going to be doing esports as a um, lunchtime and after school uh, activity and, and, and competitive and then eventually with courses. This is a PC World magazine from January of 2023. And the headline is Europe is ready to crack down on loot boxes and exploitative game mechanics. It has been a while since we have talked about Roblox and other games, and we've talked about the intersection with students and, and safety, um, but there are some big issues with uh, exploitation of child labor and, and the way in which some companies, Roblox would be one, uh, basically make their own exchange rate, have their own currencies, and in some cases, people have argued, uh, you know, set that whole economy up in ways that are um, very disadvantageous, certainly to students and, and folks with, with less financial resources. What um, I was brought to my attention, um, and, and I think this is talking about it here, is now when you are playing some games in Europe, um, they are required by law to let you know, like when you're buying, I think this is, and I'm gonna very easily show you my ignorance when it comes to online gaming, but like with Madden, for instance, and some other games where I think you're able to buy these packs and try to get cards, like in the United States, you have no idea what you're going to get. This is like regular slot machines. We have regulation in casinos for slot machines to try and make sure that the house isn't stacking the deck, you know, the, the odds so much in their favor that you have absolutely no chance at all of winning. And I'm saying this is not as somebody who's like super knowledgeable about all of these kinds of things, but I did, you know, live in Oklahoma for 16 years and we had over a hundred casinos 
um, you know, this is something that, that uh, you know, gambling in various forms, uh, you know, is, is probably more pervasive now than, than it has been uh, for a lot of reasons. But anyway, I thought this was kind of kind of interesting showing how Europe um, is under a different regulatory regime when it comes to these requirements. And so apparently you will know my percentage of getting such and such card or whatever when you buy this if you're playing in Europe. But there's nothing like that in the United States. And one of the things that we were talking about today in our retreat is it really is very much a wild west in terms of rules. And, and there's just really no virtually no regulation about that at all. So connections to, to technology and kids, um, I'm going to be creating my intermediate coding curriculum uh, for next year. It'll be a new class that I'll teach both semesters. Uh, going to be having my kids, you know, create some animations, create some games. Um, I'm co, you know, faculty, a sponsor of, of our middle school gaming club. And um, one of the things I want to do more of is have a chance for kids to share a little bit of games that they're playing and any tips and tricks. But there's definitely pitfalls. Um, and um, anyway, I, f- I found that fascinating. And it does intersect with what we talked about before in terms of tech correction and privacy and, and how, you know, Europe with GDPR is in a different place than we are here in the United States. So are you a gamer? Jason, and do you do you spend literally thousands of dollars trying to get that one Madden player so that uh, you know your weekend uh, gaming experience you're, you're going to have the right the right team to take on your competitors? You know, I'm not regularly a gamer, and I would say that if anything, the last couple of years I've become much less uh, involved in games. But I will tell you that I did. Uh, for many summers, going back to like like 2017, play tap tap baseball, mm. um, which is a very fun game. Um, but um, what I also figured out over time was that you could invest a lot of time in it and get a lot of good players and become a you know a, a stronger, better player. Or you could spend about twenty five bucks uh, on you know various uh, upgrades and 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 then have a lot more fun playing the game early on. And that's not a wild amount of money, but what I would also tell you is that um, it's, uh, you know, I question whether I would have bought the game at $25, right? Like if the game came fully loaded with those features, if I would have slapped down $25 or not. Um, Also back in the day, I used to be super into the game Two Dots. Um, Like I played it like obsessively all the time. And I also... um, uh, spent a fair amount of money on uh, power-ups and upgrades that, that made that process a lot easier, especially when I couldn't get past a level. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And um, I, I, it's just funny because, you, you know, you may remember the, the, the mobile revolution. Um, I guess it would be, what, uh, 13 years ago-ish when the App Store became a thing right on iOS and it just seemed like it was free games everywhere all the time. Now it's pretty hard to find a fun game uh, anywhere on the app store that uh, doesn't utilize in-app purchases. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's one more link that I'll put in related to this. Um, And again, this is just something that we happen to talk about at our retreat. And, um, you know, esports is big. Uh, I had reached out to you, Jason, uh, you know, that's probably a few months ago, uh, remembering back to the Moodle Moot and, uh, let's see, it was Doc, uh, who was the, the closing keynote, um, who was, uh, Oh, Doc Searles. Doc Searles, yeah, with Esports. Yeah, from, uh, Boise State, yeah. Boise State, just amazing. Um, this is a study, I think that was July of 2020, loot boxes in online games and their effect on consumers, particularly young consumers. Um, anyway, the, um, it, this isn't something that I'm living in uh, a lot right now because, hey, we don't normally have <laughs> kids in the home at all. We're really not gamers, but, um, you know, I, gaming is a massive industry. Esports is a huge thing in schools and it's just, you know, continuing to, I think, grow in, in popularity. Um, and the intersection with, you know, perceived needs for, for, for regulation and the potential dangers when we don't have um, some guardrails and things like that in place, kind of a common denominator between those. So again, I hadn't, 
I hadn't planned on that being a huge topic, but that was an interesting edu- you know, thing touching on educational technology and the online world and regulation and things like that that I had not I had not thought of before. So yep. where would you go next? Well, let's do I mean, there are some good, interesting AI articles this week, but right now, frankly, I'm feeling a little tired of AI. So um, let's do a couple. Uh, um, maybe let's talk a little bit about the upcoming Apple stuff. So um, there was an article that was actually from Mark Gurman in April that I've seen referred to a couple of times uh, about what's coming up at WWDC next week. Mm-hmm. And um, my understanding is that there's likely to be quite a few um um, uh, uh, new pieces first. Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just tell you what Mark Gurman's list is from Bloomberg. Um, the, the virtual augmented reality headset, um, uh, or mixed reality is the term I see in a lot of Apple articles. That's likely, uh, to come out, um, and it's being touted as the first new Apple product category in nearly a decade. Of course, they're forgetting the air tags, which, you know, I think are pretty great, but still a uh, new big category. Um, there is likely to be a new operating system for that device, plus new, new MacBooks, plus iOS 17, plus iPad OS 17, plus Mac OS 14, and then a major watch OS update. And I also believe, based on some of the Twitter traffic I've seen from reliable leakers, that there's likely to be a desktop uh, uh, upgrade next week. So there's a lot of folks, uh, and there's been a ton of interesting YouTube articles about why people think that um, there might be a Mac Pro, uh, uh, a Apple Silicon-based Mac Pro coming. Um, I've heard a lot less hand-wringing over the last 12 months about limitations in Apple Silicon um, uh, that might prevent a Pro model. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing... Um, um, you know, what that might look like. One thing you don't see in this list is an M3 processor, and I had seen something about you know that not not being a part. Are you thinking any of these announcements may um, affect your your pocketbook? No, I mean part of it is that, and I've actually seen a couple articles about this. One of the reasons why the M2 chip uh, based uh, a MacBook Airs, for example, um, aren't uh, flying off the shelf is because um, um, the M1 is just a very satisfying hardware platform, and I feel zero slowdown on the two M1 devices that, that I have. And not that I would have felt a slowdown for a two-year-old Mac, you know, pre, uh, uh, pre, uh, Apple Silicon days. But the bottom line is, is that I just don't see this hard. I mean, you know, I might upgrade to upgrade because that's kind of the way I am, but not probably not this generation. And I could see these platforms being, you know, uh, my major, uh, major uh, daily uh, use platforms for some time to come. Yeah, that's good. Well, here's an Apple article that we've carried forward from a couple weeks, and this is super interesting from a privacy standpoint. This comes to us from the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, <clears throat> which incidentally we had talked about the uh, – it wasn't really resignation, but the withdrawal of her name of uh, an FCC chair, and part of what she was criticized for was for being board member with the EFF, this very – you know or out there group. Anyway, I think they do a lot of good work. The article from May 17th, 2003 is how to enable advanced data protection on iOS and why you should. And the article explains that Apple has until now just secured data when it was in transit, meaning that it is moving from your device to Apple's servers. And now you can have complete encryption, end-to-end encryption, um, because if you don't, then Apple can, you know, quote, read your mail and read anything that you have. Uh, and so there has been a lot of, uh, you know, court battles and, and fights for this. There are positives and negatives. If you are a real, um, you know, supporter or even involved in homeland security and law enforcement, you know, you might see this as a bad thing. Uh, to have such a boost for user privacy because it's going to mean that when people turn this on, not only Apple is not going to be able to, you know, readily read whatever is in your iCloud backup and the and the data that you're they're storing, but, you know, security agencies that are going to, I mean, hopefully through subpoena, 
uh, it could be through other means, request your stuff. We're not going to be able to read that. So the article goes down the steps of how you can enable what's called advanced data protection um, and, you know, recommends that you should do this on all your devices, your phones, your iPads, uh, your Macs. Um, once you enable it on your account, then it's going to take effect across all the Apple devices that you own and that you are logged into. You do have to make sure you have two-factor authentication enabled, but I didn't even think you could opt out of that. You know, Apple is really, really, I think, strong when it comes to their multi-factor authentication. So, Dr. Neifert, is this tempting to you? Have you already enabled this? Uh, beat me to the punch, or do you think this might, uh, you know, just be something a little bit for the fringe uh, geeks out there, who I'm sure we have some of them listening to the show? Well, I mean, I, I don't have this turned on, and I was just kind of looking at my settings in my phone to see what it would take to set it up. And I, you know, I need to, uh, I would need to, to to spend some time with this before doing it. But I mean, the bottom line is, is that you know, if you're working in any way in a professional capacity, right? Chances are you have data on your phone that's embarrassing to get hacked. And I'm not saying that I'm not trying to argue that I'm a target or that Dr. Fryer's a target. I mean, I, I would never be so presumptuous, but it would be, you know, I imagine both of our phones would be treasure troves of embarrassing information, not about us personally per se, but about, you know, the, the, the people we work with. And we've talked about in the past that the, the problem with student data is that, um, um, uh, the problem with student data is that we are, um, you know, uh, we traffic in it as, as educators, right? And there's a lot of it around and it's relatively low value data, except that it's, it's really embarrassing data and can be used to create a lot of, of, of fear, uncertainty and doubt. So, um, I'm interested in this and I think, um, that, uh, it's, it's it's pretty incredible that that Apple's thinking in this way because I think that they are really at the forefront about how to lock things down. I was just looking at my phone. There is another mode that you can put on that I'm trying to remember where it's at, but it essentially is a um, uh, a security mode. If you think you're getting hacked um, or you think that something really bad is happening, um, like a lo like a lockdown mode or something. Yeah, it's it, it, maybe it is lockdown. Is this is the way you you call it? Um, but what's amazing about that is, is that, and it says, this is like, you know, if you have national security information or you think you're the target of international actors, this is a way to immediately and dramatically shut down your account, um, or lock it down. Um, that's pretty cool that that's available to you. And I think that's something that, you know, sets Apple apart. You know, I'm traveling to Europe, um, in, in a couple of weeks and, um, I'm thinking about security, like what happened? And my phone is, is stolen. I'm not really worried about the data on the phone, but how do I get back into my accounts? And what about two-factor authentication and all those things that are a part of this process? But the bottom line is, is that, you know, even if you leave in a relatively undramatic life, and here I am a virtual school administrator, um, um, <laughs> your, your data, uh, is, 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 is still valuable to someone in some way, some, some form. And so being aware of, of, of these, these products and thoughtfully turning them out on, I think is a really great idea. On a practical note, I would, uh, caution everyone to, to make sure that you've got some open storage available. I'm actually right now with video. Um, I did a, video about pulled pork today and, and had, had to delete some stuff off my phone to be able to have enough room to export a new iMovie. Um, typically, whenever you turn uh, an encryption algorithm on, it is going to require more storage on your device. So be aware of that, um, that you're going to, you know, you may need to, to clear some, some data off and, um, you know, your phone can, or your computer, iPad, whatever. The rule of thumb used to be like 10%, you know, keep 10% free, um, otherwise, you're going to run into some difficulty. But um, the other thing that I would say about this is, you know, make sure that you have a secure passcode on your phone. And just keep in mind how incredibly important it is that you keep that phone um, you know, secure and protected. Because if a bad actor does obtain that phone, be able to get access to your text messaging, to your email. I mean, those things are really the keys to the kingdom when it comes to bank accounts. 
and all kinds of things. And, and you may, again, wonder, well, I'm not running for office. I'm not a can I mean, a, a public official, um, you know, I'm not a CEO of a, of a fortune 500 company. Um, but you know, all of us have funds and resources. And again, the phone, um, it, somebody said the other day, probably with every single one of us, there is more confidential private information that could potentially be damaging for a bad actor to get on our phone than we might even, you know, have today in a home office, um, in, in terms of passwords and things like that. So take security seriously and we'll be interested to hear kind of what you end up doing, uh, for your European trip. And, uh, that's good to see Apple moving in this direction. Again, it took a court case and a lot of fighting on the part of the EFF and other groups, I think, to, to be able to get that. But I think this is this is positive. Great. Thanks, Wes. Um, hey, one more article I want to cover. Uh, this is under social media. Um, I, 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 I thought I put this in last week's um, uh, 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 news, but I, I don't think I did. This is uh, the Surgeon General has uh, released a report warning that social media may harm children and adolescents. And I will say that I'm sharing a gift link here today um, so you can get to this article, even though it's in the pay for New York Times. But um, uh, Dr. Murthy, the, the U.S. Surgeon General, cited a, quote unquote, profound risk of harm to adolescent mental health and urge families to set limits and governments to test, su- to test tougher standards for use. And what's interesting about this is this has become a bipartisan issue, which I think is actually very encouraging that we're looking at it in this way. And it doesn't necessarily mean that both sides are maybe looking at it from the same perspective, because I don't think necessarily that they are. But I am very interested in the fact that people are starting to collect the research and uh, aggregate it and come to conclusions which suggest that in, in, in his report, um, there are ample indicators that social media can also have a profound uh, risk of harm to mental health and well-being of children and adolescents. And it goes, um, you know, to, to put forward what may sound like some old-fashioned uh, strategies, but I think are very smart, including uh, creating a family media plan that sets the expectations for social media use. Um, it recommends keeping family mealtimes and in-person gatherings free of devices to help build social bonds and promote conversation. And I would never, ever presume uh, to judge another parent's parenting. Um, but at the same time, I think there's enough research now to say that if you're not inserting yourself into the social media conversation with your kiddo and also, um, uh, you know, regulating devices, even if you, you yourself have a problem, um, uh, with, with, with devices. And to be frank, I do, I mean, I I'm working on it, but I do. Um, uh, I think it's important to be very thoughtful about how you insert, insert these into your life. And, um, I think there may, may actually be some bipartisan support, um, um, uh, to trying to figure out a way to regulate these platforms. If even just for the youth, a couple other excerpts from that article. It cites a Pew Research study finding that today up to 95% of teens use at least one social media platform and more than a third say they use social media, quote, almost constantly. Um, they also, in the previous paragraph to that one, talk about the TikTok ban uh, in Montana, which again is going to be something real interesting to watch in terms of the courts and how that's going to be handled. TikTok's, of course, filed a lawsuit. Um, Utah in March uh, was the first state to prohibit all social media services um, to prohibit them from allowing users under 18 to have accounts unless the parents give explicit permission. Now that I think maybe goes into effect. It does go into effect in the future. It may be January. And I think that Montana's law is graduated as well from what I've understood, like, if you have an existing app and whatever, you can still use it, but it's going to stop new downloads. Um, but anyway, all of these things, as you say, are pointing to some uh, pretty significant recognition of social media impacts. There's some different reasons for this versus, you know, Chinese owned TikTok versus, you know, looking at the effects as a certain general is on uh, mental health and relationships and things like that. Um, but I think these are important topics for us to stay abreast of. Certainly our students, you know, have, depending on the age that we teach, uh, a high level of interest in social media apps. Um, 
TikTok. I, I did not do this lesson, but uh, I'm excited next week. Uh, actually, on Thursday, I'll be flying to Seattle to uh, this University of Washington two-day webinar on uh, Finland's media literacy education program. The uh, Center for an Informed Public, which is sponsoring that, um, had done a webinar with the TIP teachers, which is uh, Teachers for an Informed Public. <coughs> anyway, it was a great, great lesson um, using... Uh, TikTok links and asking students to apply the SIFT web literacy framework, et cetera. And so anyway, this is great stuff to, to stay on top of. Um, and uh, we don't want to, to delve into uh, state politics deeply, but do you have anything that you would add or any other insights, Jason, that you've had on any of those with Utah, uh, Montana, or anything else in terms of those laws? And, um, and you have yeah. a, do you have a prognostication for what you think is going to happen? Because I kind of guess we're going to have federal ruling on this that's going to limit how many states can just sort of go their own way and make yeah, it crazy I mean, for companies. I, I, like, I, I honestly am so confused about the TikTok issue personally that I'm not I, – I, I have a hard time even commenting on it, to be honest. I like TikTok. I think it's a fun platform, and – um, I would say that's introduced me to an awful lot of conversations that I would have never had an opportunity to discover before because I think it's a really great discovery engine. But it's that same reason that people are concerned that its data is warehoused in a, a you know someone that, that that might be labeled a foreign adversary. And I'm not entirely sure that my data might be all that useful uh, to you know a, a a a foreign government. But I'm sure there are people's data that is and also it could be an engine for propaganda uh, uh, certainly and there's uh, all sorts of, of, of things swimming around TikTok about you know why we, we, we shouldn't ban or maybe we should be more careful about it but what I would say is that I don't want the politics of this stuff to get in the way of a substantive discussion about social media, where we're going, and if we've made mistakes in the way we're implementing it. And, you know, I don't think, you know, uh, and, and, and Dr. Fryer and I have only been on each other's radar for what, seven, eight years. So um, I don't know what your advocacy looked like in the late 2000s. Um, but what I would tell you is that I wanted to bring social media into school. And my guess is that you had the, the conversation too, not because I want to bring social media into schools. It's because if, if no one's inserting instructional voice into that conversation, it runs wild on its own. And I used to participate in, uh, there's a big parade in, in Helena every year. School is off. It's two days of, of, of merrymaking and parade creating. And for students that weren't going to make a float, they were in school on a day where instruction wasn't happening. And I was part of a, um, a series of workshops for kids called the Vigilante Academy. Um, the name of the parade is the Vigilante Parade. That's correct. There was a parade, uh, based off vigilante. So, um, uh, welcome to my wow. but wow. Yeah. That is a cultural. Yeah, a little unique. Yeah. unique uh, um, and I just realized I wasn't going to say the name and then I realized I had to to talk about the name of the piece. But um, I used to teach workshops every year to students um, um, on, you know, tech topics. And, you know, this is when it's it's early days of Facebook. Students had to lie to get on Facebook in some cases if they were young enough. But, you know, um, I, you know, uh, walk the walk and try to have really good conversations uh, with students about, you know, you want to be really careful. You want to be very thoughtful. You don't want to be friends with everyone. You want to figure out where your, your data is going and, you know, uh, be careful about sharing pictures and, you know, be, be very thoughtful about that. And I also remember in professional development workshops I offered on early social media platforms, um, and this seems almost quaint to mention now, but after, um, uh, 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 Rupert Murdoch bought uh, MySpace, you know, I argued it's the best voter file ever because it would provide a lot of data on potential voters. And what happens in 2016, Cambridge Analytica is, is, is not only taking your Facebook data, it's also taking the Facebook data of your friends and used to target uh, uh, disruptive advertising um, in a very negative way during the 2016 election. And, um, you know, so uh, I, I really think we need to have a lot of big discussions about this and not get, um, 
not get too distracted uh, by the politics. Like, I, I think it's a, it's a bipartisan moment we should take advantage of. Agreed. On a related aside, I, since I just uh, tweeted that link to the Surgeon General article, interesting that the preview for the article, which now that I'm like cross-posting to six different platforms <laughs> these days, uh, notice this because some of them will ask you to, you want to create a link card for that link that's going to show. Anyway, it just uh, has a nice little icon of a, uh, of a gift and it says gift article. So that's kind of cool that anyway, it, it notes that. So if you're wondering, Ooh, it's New York times. I'm not going to be able to click on that. It, it, it tells you that it is. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think that everybody, uh, all of our schools need to be doing some level of, of parent education and parent outreach, uh, when it comes to digital citizenship, uh, media literacy, but especially around internet safety. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we obviously, you know, maybe it's not obvious, but we, we don't need to be waiting for the government to mandate these things. Uh, we need to be, uh, having limits and restrictions. And I, I think a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about AI companion apps and I still haven't delved into that much, but you know, if, you, you need to have some restrictions on the app store if you've got young children, uh, grandchildren. Um, and uh, just uh, just as, uh, you know, your first article uh, with uh, what Marissa Mayer was talking about, the, the web changing, and that's not only true for Google search results, that's also true for uh, the amount of, uh, dark, you know, the, 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 the potential for objectionable content uh, that students might, you know, accidentally or intentionally stumble upon. So, all right. Well, what else, Dr. Neifer? We uh, have got about 14 minutes left or so. Sure. Let's, um, I don't know, let's do a couple of these AI articles. Um, There was a really great article that I saw kind of passed around social media uh, the last couple of days. And I think it was originally on on this week's Twit. It's where I first heard about it. But um, it is an article from the MIT Technology Review from October 2017 um, called the seven daily um, deadly of uh, daily the seven daily sins of AI um, the seven deadly sins of AI predictions and um, what I loved about this article and I've read it a couple of times now is that um, it is pretty accurate now that we're like stewing in um, uh, AI related stuff right and so I'll start off with um, uh, AI, uh, well, let's just go through the seven, uh, deadly sins of AI prediction. The first one is the sin of over or underestimating. And, uh, in, in, they start off by, by quoting, um, Roy Amara, who is someone I think we've actually talked about, um, on the podcast in the past, but his notion is that we tend to overestimate the effect of technology in the short run and underestimate the effect of it in the long run. And if they're, were truer terms ever said it's it, it's also so true about almost everything in ed tech right um and i think ai is a, a is a um a, a pretty good uh indication of that um i think we are overestimating what ai looks like or what AI is going to do. And what I would say is that my mind keeps spinning around on this. Um, I have colleagues that have challenged my stance on this, that have changed my, my point of view a bit. Um, and also I'm a nerd, right? So I see this stuff and the holy dog exclamation that tends to come out of my mouth when I see some of this stuff working sometimes, um, you know, um, uh, 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 stops me from thinking critically about how this stuff, some of the stuff is supposed to work. But I do think that's exactly what's happening right now is that, you know, we're talking about all this stuff and coming to a school near you or coming to a classroom near you. Oh my God, all kids are going to cheat with it. Yada, yada, yada. When I do think there's probably a much longer term perspective that we need to be cautious about. So thoughts about that, sir. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know the the news cycle and one of our my colleagues at school was commenting on just you know the last two to three weeks. <laughs> it seems like every ad he sees and there's just so much you know mention of AI and just the hype the hype cycle is at at all time levels. Yes. Um, I think that we need to be having informed conversations about this. I I reached out to the Senate Judiciary staffer who had tried to contact me. Uh, well, I, I had reached out to, to our senator who's nominated our daughter for the Air Force Academy and thanked him and said, hey, 
I have a podcast and tend to monitor these things about big tech. Do you have any, you know, citizen groups that, um, that talk about this? Uh, we're rescheduled now, I think for, uh, two weeks from now to, to, to have a conversation. Uh, one of the, one of the important things, and I'll, I'll do another article here that'll relate, uh, to this. We need to be pushing to look into the black box. There are certain government agencies and organizations that cannot use AI data at all right now because of their own rules and regulations that say, if you can't tell me how you got this answer, if it's just a black box, it can't be used. And so we, we have, you know, some additional conversation about um, AI researchers and AI developers doing that. But I think that that is going to be an important element of of regulatory enforcement and, and regulatory, a regulatory push for developers to, you know, not just have this magic result. That, oh my gosh, it says this and we have no idea how, where did that data, where did that uh, data come from? Um, one of the new articles that I put in, but wasn't just a, a carry forward from last time. And I've ran out of uh, gift links, uh, Dr. Knifer. So if you've, if you've got a gift link for this one and you want to want to do that one, feel free. Uh, this is from May 30th from the New York Times and uh, talk about, you know, the hype cycle and the, the catching headline. Um, AI poses, this is a Kevin Ruiz article, by the way, who, who does hard fork that Jason and I both like to listen to. AI poses risk of extinction, industry leaders warn. And so this is an open letter from leaders from OpenAI, Google DeepMind, Anthropic, um, other AI labs, uh, really a lot of people. Did I just lose my video? I think I did. Um, sorry. I, uh, my phone died. I'm, I, I should have, should have plugged in my phone. Sorry, folks. I'll be, can you show me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, it's a one sentence statement. Um, the statement is quote, and this is what all these hundreds of people who are pretty big AI researchers have said, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. More than 350 executive researchers and engineers working in AI have signed this. So, you know, in terms of hype cycle, um, you know, this is, this is exist. I, I probably a, a year or so ago or the certain, I don't know, not that long ago, I didn't really know what existential means. It means, you know, species ending, humanity ending potential. Uh, there are less, like, there's a, there's a dude at, a dude, there's a professor at Cambridge and probably other places too. Like all he studies are existential risks, you know, from, from asteroids that can potentially hit the earth to other things. So 350 folks agreed that this is a, you know, a statement that they can, they can agree with. So um, we need to, we need to have some kind of, of, of regulation around this. Um, I, everybody seems to agree with that. Um, we're not at the point where it's posing an existential risk, but it is a bit crazy that that many folks that are super smart about this topic are in agreement with that, that single statement. So, well, and, and I think that part of, of what we need to be very cautious about is the speed of which people are plugging this into other systems. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think we're being very thoughtful about this. Right. And everyone is trying to, you know, add the word AI into things without, um, um, without, thinking about what it means or thinking about where we go next. Um, and the bottom line is, is that um, we are, I mean, there's going to be a reckoning about this, right? I'm hoping it's not a science fiction reckoning. It's more or less a, a another reckoning, but if you need any evidence about, you know, that, that the disruption is now, um, whether we, we, we like it or not, look at the, the writer's guild strike right now. Right. Um, and that's not world ending. Right. But it does, uh, you know, uh, uh, create upheaval in, in easily one of the largest industries on earth, the uh, television movie industry. And I happen to be with the writers on this one that they, we need protection in Hollywood, for uh, writers to not be replaced straight up by by AI bots, right? And um, that doesn't mean there's not a role for AI, and that doesn't mean at some point AI couldn't create compelling content. But um, you know, the bottom line is is that uh, uh, it's already happening, and I question some of the ethical pieces about 
forcing voice actors to sell their voice uh, or to get a job in, in 2023 or, um, you know, uh, uh, the image of um, someone who's not with us anymore and it's owned by a family or by a, a, a corporation, you know, being utilized in, in that perspective. I'm not sure if that's right or wrong. It feels wrong to me. It's my gut reaction. But we have to talk about that stuff, right? And we have to have very thoughtful discussions about where this is going to go next. And I'm not sure, you know, where I would come down on that if I really thought through it. There is a podcast that we have carried forward a couple weeks that I want to uh, give a shout out to. I'm trying to, to see if this is actually posted. No, the, the we, I, I did record the AI podcast um, at school last week with the OpenAI uh, employees, graduate from our school, along with a couple other folks. Um, this is a podcast from the Center for Humane Technology, which brought us this uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, last year. Um, they've also created, and I will admit I've not, I've not yet watched the whole thing, uh, The AI Dilemma. But this is from May 11th, 2023. It's called Spotlight on AI Myths and Misconceptions. And in this entire conversation about the hype cycle and, and what is it that we need to be concerned about? What are the issues? I think this is an outstanding um, episode. Um, and, you know, and some of that is to sort of lower the um, the hype level in terms of how how panicked we need to be. But it is this it is serious. And there are these real these real risks. And, you know, one of the things that this brings up is this idea of alignment and misalignment. And we've heard that. I've heard that on a bunch of podcasts and in a bunch of articles, and this is about aligning to values. Like AI aside, we're having all kinds of difficulty figuring out alignment of values, right? When it comes to politics, when it comes to social media platforms, when it comes to things like, you know, acceptable use and and censorship um, or, or just content moderation, which sometimes is the same thing. It just kind of depends on who's who's saying it. So it is a messy, messy world. But I definitely, um, I, I definitely feel like the velocity of of this has just been stunning. And I think all of us in in school next year, I mean, and this year is just wrapping up. Um, we're going to be we're going to be contending with AI to a greater degree, and we're also going to be potentially augmented ourselves as teachers, you know, to a greater degree. Um, and we need to be having these kind of conversations. Where does this fit in the curriculum? Because guess what? I bet you may not have many classes, if any, <laughs> unless it's a current events class or, you know, a, a class like media literacy that you're going to be talking about contemporary technology issues. Where does that fit in the curriculum? Um, it's something that needs to be um, discussed and explored. And I think that we need to to come out with some some clearer guidelines than we have right now about attribution of AI when we use it. Um, but then also, you know, thinking about how we're going to potentially change our assessments, recognizing that at least at this point, ChatGPT 3.5 being freely available to just about anybody that wants to use it, um, it's going to be a big part of the landscape for students and, and the creation of certainly traditional essays, but, but a lot of work. Yep, absolutely. Well, one last quick article, Dr. Fryer, and we can uh, call it a week here. Um, this is from the New York Times on May 27th. I've heard this from several media sources, and there were a couple of videos on YouTube and TikTok about it. But this is, here's what happens when your lawyer uses ChatGPT. And a lawyer who's representing someone suing an airline relied on artificial intelligence to help prepare a court filing, and it did not uh, go well. Um, quoting from... Um, uh, 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 the lawyer's name was uh, Roberto Mata. Um, um, uh, actually, now I'm I'm mixing up the article, but basically, he put a bunch of citations in in the brief, and they uh, based on ChatGPT, and ChatGPT completely made it up. Right. Like they looked like citations. They sounded like citations. Um, and the lawyer was Stephen A. Schwartz um, uh, and said uh, it, it, that uh, he hoped that the court would would understand his mistake and that he was very apologetic. Um, uh, uh, and 
<laughs> um, basically uh, violated all sorts of legal tenets because one of the things you do when you submit a brief, and that's part of your oath as an attorney, is that you promise that the citations say what you say they say, in part because you can't look up every citation. You know, yeah. there's some that are obviously very uh, uh, frequently cited. Um, Brown versus the Board of Education in, in, in 1954, for example, right? But, um, but you know, and when you get more nuanced, uh, you have to rely on the fact that, that lawyers are citing citations that are relevant. In this case, they weren't just not relevant, they were completely and utterly made up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that, that may be self-critiquing for that lawyer, because like you said, if you're Whatever. You can't just blame ChatGPT. It was ChatGPT. Maybe do it. No, you're the lawyer. You're no, the one that's no. using it. And if you're using evidence that's fabricated, then you should, you know, face consequences. I want uh, one more request. You did a bad idea department uh, article. <laughs> Can you go ahead and do that one quickly, please? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, this is from Reuters. Uh, Elon Musk Neuralink, which is a direct... Um, connection between a gadget in your brain has received FDA approval and um, for its few, first in-human clinical trial. Um, and um, uh, apparently um, uh, uh, this is at the same time that the FDA um, uh, is also scrutinizing um, uh, Neuralink's use of, 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 of testing in animals. So what I would say is that, I mean, this is obviously a very future looking technology, but in light of the fact, I guess I'll go ahead and say it, that Elon Musk's way of fixing Twitter was to fire everyone um, that um, maybe don't stand in line for this device uh, to start with. Hmm. What could go wrong? Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? All right. Well, we have talked for an hour and one minute. Um, I think we probably better do some Geeks of the Week and, and get out of here. So, Sure. Well, i got a quick one to, to share. Uh, this is an AI tool that I was introduced to a day or two ago that is uh, pretty interesting. It's, of course, unpronounceable. The name of the uh, tool is Knowledge. Knowledge. Um, but it's a really interesting platform that allows you either automate it with AI, but what I like about it is, is you can do it manually and just use AI Assist to take a text, a YouTube video, pictures, or other media, and turn them into a what they call a micro-lesson. So the way I did this was take one of the Crash Course uh, Causes of World War I videos, Crash Course, a very well-respected, student-friendly uh, piece, and it uh, you, I pasted the URL of the YouTube video in it. It read the transcript. It rewrote the transcript uh, as a pretty decent text article, right? Um, so it put it in paragraphs and added headers so that the transcript itself was pretty useful and then created a series of higher-level learning questions, multiple-choice questions, um, uh, puzzles and uh, 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 assessment uh, tools based on that, which you could then export into a learning management system like Google Classroom, Moodle, um, Can Canvas, etc. So again, um, I'm I'm not sure where I stand on generating classroom content with AI because I think it's pretty early days, but I like the notion that yes, you could automatically create it, and that's interesting. But more importantly. You could simply um, uh, uh, you could simply uh, help it automate your process. Awesome. Uh, I'll do two quickly. Um, I had a chance to hear one of the grandparents of a current student at our school who is a property investor give a fantastic presentation and shared a wealth of of GIS geographic information system tools, uh, many of which are specific to the Charlotte um, and Mecklenburg County, which is around Charlotte, North Carolina, where we live. But there's many others as well. And so I just created a wakelet of those of those resources. There's, I think, 19 different things. And it's just kind of amazing. I mean, especially like the timeline tools and being able to just, you know, ratchet the slider and, oh, wow, look at how the roads and buildings and things have changed, whether that's about your school or your own property. Um, but he does, does a lot of research as he purchases both mainly residential, but sometimes commercial properties. And then this one I wasn't actually going to do, but I just saw this and I'm throwing it in there. Um, this past uh, weekend when we were up in Front Royal, Virginia, uh, we had a chance to go to the church that our daughter's been attending this last year. And 
learned about a whole wealth of different resources. And this is one that I'm really excited about. It's called Coming to the Table. Um, and the intersection here, uh, potentially, I I'm thinking, might have to do with digital storytelling. Um, but uh, the subtitle here is Truth, Justice, and Healing, Working Together to Create a Just and Truthful Society that Acknowledges and Seeks to Heal from the Racial Wounds of the Past, from Slavery and Many Forms of Racism It Spawned. And it's a nationwide organization that has local groups um, and in our polarized times. Um, I think this is a pretty uh, interesting and important initiative. And I think there's probably some intersections for digital storytelling there. Um, but obviously there's a lot of politics that are related to even saying that we had, you know, slavery in the past. So we will not dive into that deeply, but I think that's worth checking out if anybody's interested. So I think we've done it, Dr. Neifer. We have successfully talked amazingly for another hour and we did not cover all the articles. Yep. Yep. I, even though we had less articles this is what we, we usually do. So, <laughs> hey, Dr. Fryer, where people, can people find you on the Internet? I am still on Twitter at W Fryer, but all of my links are at westfryer.com slash after. And I have been doing, as usual, quite a bit of cooking and uh, probably going to do more of that also throughout the summer. How about you? Well, best place to find me is probably still Twitter, Tech Savvy Teach. Um, Mastodon's not really catching on for me. I may double down again, but, um, I don't know. Maybe I should just get off of social media altogether. So, hey, this is not complaints about social media. This is the EdTech Situation Room, where a once a week podcast on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, and sometime in the middle of the night UTC. And the reason why we're going to find that out is we might do an episode uh, when I am in Europe in, in a couple of weeks. But, you know, we, we really hope you join us live. But if you can, you can find us wherever podcast, finer podcasts are aggregated, uh, our website, edtechsr.com, YouTube, Facebook, um, and, and really just type edtechsr into uh, Google, and you'll find all sorts of places to catch up on our feed. And it will be interesting to watch the Apple uh, event next week, right? Is it Tuesday? Yes. Right? From not only the digital storytelling standpoint, because Apple always does a masterful job, what are they going to say about AI, right? And will they say things? Because yeah. we just haven't heard a lot from Apple. So we'll probably talk about that a little bit next week. Sorry. One, well, one, one, yeah, one no, that's great. Uh, so, hey, join us next week to hear about us, talk about Apple, talking about AI, and we hope you have a wonderful week. Good morning, or I'm sorry, uh, have a great week. Good night. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Stay savvy and safe. <laughs>